Well, for the second straight week, the Buffalo Bills fall to an AFC East division opponent. This time to the New York Jets after a game in which they probably should have won, which is a similar story to what happened against the Miami Dolphins, but a few different factors helped lead them to a loss just like in that Dolphins game. So now the Bills are... Four and nine on the season for you draft pick folk out there ahead of the Sunday night and Monday night games. And I'm not anticipating much to change even with those outcomes. The Bills are currently in the sixth overall pick. Just a game game out of the number one overall pick discussion, which is somewhat exciting for Bills fans out there looking forward to the future. But that's neither here nor there because we've got a... Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, game, showdown, whatever you want to say to kind of unfold and chew on here. And Josh did not uh, exactly have the same type of day that he did against the Miami Dolphins. And that was certainly part of the undoing, even though there were different factors. Even though Josh Allen, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, would make you believe, based on the way he presented himself after the game was that he was solely to blame for the loss. Yeah, I think that's one element of Josh Allen that is actually a breath of fresh air to some people is just how willing he is. It's it's not going to matter. Excuse me. It's not going to matter what happens in a game. If the Bills lose, Josh Allen is going to put that on himself. And he's going to do that without fail pretty much every time. And today there's probably a little bit something to that I mean his two interceptions were pretty ugly uh particularly the one at the end you'd like to see him be a bit more patient and not try to get it all at once you know he even talked after the game about needing chunk plays because of the the situation needing a touchdown and the amount of time on the clock but last week he you know slightly different situation they had more time but he was more patient took what the defense gave him this time he kind of tried to get it all at once with that throw to Zay Jones and and it ended up costing him but overall Mm -hmm. the only reason they were in this game was Josh Allen I mean once again he accounted for right around 80 percent of the team's offense which is ridiculous he's done that three straight he's been over in the last three games combined he's accounted for more than 80 percent of the offense total yeah, and silly. He now leads the team in rushing. He passed LaShawn McCoy today. He rushed for more yards on the Bills' first drive than LaShawn McCoy has in six different games this year. And he made some big plays with his arm, too. He wasn't perfect. He turned the ball over you know, a few times, like we mentioned. But he played a decent game, gave them a chance to win, I thought the defense let them down a couple times, particularly on that last drive. And more importantly, the special teams was a disaster again. I mean, the Jets got an 86-yard kick return. The Jets' average drive start was on their own 47-yard line, which is way too generous. A lot of that had to do with poor coverage from the special teams unit. They had a Mm. kick blocked and then allowed their kicker to get cold clocked. Uh, and he was hurt for the rest of the game. Good on you so, for not mispronouncing that, by the way. Yeah, he did not get. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I try. You guys know that I I'm try to keep it friendly for the kids. I don't want to use harsh language. Yeah, you're no Tim children. Graham. No, absolutely not. Dirty Tim but Graham. Nasty guy. 
So lots of mistakes on special teams. Tredavious White allowed a big catch to Robbie Anderson. And the end result, you know, was Sam Darnold was a bit more composed down the stretch. Mm -hmm. And he also had a, a different situation and a bit of an easier drive, but he led his team down the field for a game-winning touchdown. But, you know, that's also kind of what we saw from Josh Allen in Miami, though. I mean, he was a lot more composed than what he was down the stretch in this game today. I, I think Allen, I don't even know if momentum from game to game is a thing, but Allen just really a lot like he did down the stretch against the Miami game started off incredibly well against this Jets defense accounted for a ton of yards right away I think he had just under 50 yards rushing in the first quarter I mean it was at 48 on the first drive yeah, 87 it, in the first half it was I mean. semi-ridiculous and so I understand why Allen is pinning this on himself that that interception was bad I mean that's that's so the first one wasn't good either no, no, no. I'm talking about the first one. Oh, the first one. Yeah, yeah. The and very... the second one was bad, too. Yeah. I mean, the second one, at least you can argue that he was making, trying to make a play and it was a lot closer. The first one is inexcusable in my book. And that's the same type of throw that he made in Green Bay, which is something I'm sure the Bills had to be like, hey, Josh, guess what? Don't do that. Ever. And he did it. And that's something he he has to be burned by it a few times, I guess, for it to really sink in as to what he actually uh, needs to do and what he needs not to do in those instances. But once again, he was doing a lot of good things. And I, I, I don't want to sit here and, and say that it was a totally great performance. I I think it was he was probably due to lose a fumble when rushing the ball because, I mean, for the amount that he runs... And for the amount of open space he tries to hit and the amount of hits he takes, it's almost a surprise that it hasn't happened in the last few weeks uh, or really up until that point. So for Allen, I think he showed a little bit worse pocket presence in this game than the Miami game. But again, that's like a, a give and take sort of thing. Some weeks it's going to be better. Some weeks it's going to be worse, especially when he's a young quarterback. I don't want, I don't want to sit here and say Sam Darnold outdueled him. Darnold made a couple of dynamite throws, as did Josh Allen. Darnold's just came at a key moment of the game, and that, that set the Jets up on a doorstep for a, a touchdown, the game-winning touchdown. And I, I suppose you can weigh that a bit differently, which it's probably fair to. But all that said, it's not as though he completely outclassed Allen. I think it was a solid enough battle and two very different styles between the two guys. And one, I think, the uh, for Josh Allen's perspective, his style is going to probably be molded a bit differently next year when they have a bit more weapons around him, a bit better of an offensive line, because today the 100% of the offensive line was terrible. <laughs> I mean, even Deion Dawkins was bad today. So these are all things you have to factor in, but at the end of the day, you, you look in at what Josh Allen did today and you have to say, okay... Didn't get the win, wasn't his greatest day, but still steps forward nonetheless in which he was the best player on the offensive side of the ball yet again. Yeah, he was the offense. Not, you know, he's working with such inexperience around him. It's, I mean, on that final drive, you had Zay Jones, Isaiah McKenzie, and Robert Foster. Two second-year guys and an undrafted rookie. 
guys who have barely played in the NFL. They have, you know, very little perspective, very little experience in those moments that matter at the end of games. And that's where you get to to see what they're made of. And this is where they get some of that experience. It doesn't really matter that they lost today. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. It's probably for the best. Like we talked about, you know, it doesn't mean that Sam Darnold is better. Was he slightly better today? Maybe he had a pretty dumb interception of his own. Um, that mm-hmm. was one of his trademark roll to the right, throw to the left, uh, you know, throw back across his body toward the middle of the field throws that got picked off. But yeah, he was a bit steadier in the second half and, you know, ultimately was a big part of why they won the game. He made the key throw, but it doesn't mean he'll be better long term. I don't think the gap between these two guys was big at all, regardless of, it was kind of funny going going into both locker rooms and kind of asking guys about both quarterbacks. And mm-hmm. you, of course, expect you know each team to take their quarterback side. That's only natural. But the aggressiveness with which they did so was kind of funny. You know, like Jamal Adams when I asked him about Josh Allen said he's a good runner. Ooh, okay. He completed a few. It, it was. What did you think of Josh Allen's performance today? And I believe the quote was, let's see. It was something about, uh, he ran the ball well. He made some completions, and that was it. So, you know, you got a little bit of that. And then when I asked Jordan Poyer about, you know, there's a possibility that there's there was two, you know, special young quarterbacks on the field today. And Jordan Poyer, his response was, I thought, um, he said, I think our quarterback is special. I think we have a special quarterback. I wasn't necessarily thinking there were two. So he was throwing a little shade at Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. These guys were, you know, they both think that they have their guy. And that's kind of the cool part about this game to me is both locker rooms are convinced they have their guy and their young quarterback. I think both front offices are convinced they have their young quarterback. Both teams have a ton of cap space heading into the offseason. And this division could be up for grabs whenever Tom Brady decides to call it quits. So, again, we talked about it before the game. You know, was this a glimpse into the future? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was two slappies, you know, yeah. who in a few years we're laughing at the fact that, you know, we thought these guys could be the future of the division. But. I thought there were some moments today where, from both quarterbacks where they looked really, really good. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. and I don't think this is a game where you go overboard one way or the other on, on both of those guys, and specifically for Josh Allen because he is the main reason that you guys are listening to this podcast and because the majority of you, you I, would, I would tend to think almost 100% of you, if not 100%, are fans of the Bills or observers of the Bills. And Allen didn't do anything to where it goes, ah, crap, did they screw it up? I mean, as long as he continues to show those flashes of promise, those signs of progress, which he still is, by the way, he is a different quarterback than the one that took the field against the Los Angeles Chargers in early September uh, at New Era Field. I'm very convinced of that. He is 
being more aggressive. He is uh, he's staying in the pocket more than he did back then, and really in his first few starts, he's going through his reads a bit more. This has been, and and he's even diagnosing defenses a bit more than he was. And not to say that he does it perfectly or he's a perfect player at this point, because he's clearly not. He's a rookie player in his eighth game. But you can still see those signs of of uh, of moving forward as as a player and and showing more of that promise that they they saw in him when they picked him. And that is vital for the Bills in moving forward. Because if you don't get your rookie quarterback to show you that, then it's like, all right, well, well, well what do you do? Do you just... Do you wonder if you if you made the right pick? But I don't think they're wondering that. I, I think with him, he's shown he he shows the signs of progress that are necessary to uh, to improve in the NFL, and that's basically a stubbornness to uh, to continue to work hard at it, uh, the repetition of doing all those things and and giving yourself the amount of time to do it, and the open-mindedness to accept the coaching and the principles in which they're trying to instill in you. And, you know, I, I think Allen has all three of those things. It's just a matter of if it's going to click for him and to be a more consistent player. Because we know he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL with with the performances that he has. Clearly, he can take over an offense the way that he has in the last three games. But it, can he round out those rough spots in his game? That is what is going to ultimately sink or swim him as a game-changing type of quarterback as opposed to a, just a young quarterback that shows a lot of promise. I think today was good for him in a lot of ways because... Yes, he ran for 100 yards, but only 14 of those came after halftime. The Jets figured out a way to kind of bottle him up a little bit and keep him in the pocket and, mm-hmm. you know, make him beat him with, with his arm. And I think more teams are going to do that. So seeing that on film is valuable. I also think there's an element of him trying to be, and it's, somewhat out of necessity, trying to be everything for this offense. Mm -hmm. That's what he did at Wyoming last year because he didn't have any talent around him there either. And now he's doing that in the NFL. And I think the the Jaguars game and the Dolphins game gave him a little bit of a sense that he can do this. You know, he can take over a game with his legs. He can make all these throws. And so the confidence, you know, goes up a notch. And that's why you see the interceptions like the first one and really the second one. He's like, I can fit that ball in there. I can make that throw when you're much better off throwing it away in, in a lot of those instances. You're going to get some some boom plays out of that, but you're going to get the bust plays as well like we saw today. So I think it's a good reality check for him that, hey, you know, I won't be able to, you know, after an 87-yard half, he got bottled up on the ground. So he won't be able to do that all the time. And as Sean McDermott said, it's not a healthy situation to have your quarterback Mm-mm. leading your team in rushing, he knows. which he's done three weeks in a row. Josh Allen also took a beating today, I thought. I mean, More so than the other two games. Early sure. in the game, he was taking big hits in the pocket. He took a few big hits out on the run. The designed he, run was the biggest hit of the bunch, yeah, I think. Yeah, and he also took a good shot when they threw a pass to him. He almost caught a touchdown early in the game. That was a, a, 
a bit questionable. I yeah, think. a tad reckless of of Brian Dable, who has really turned a corner over the past month or so in the way that he's kind of shaping his offense around Josh Allen. There was actually a terrific piece on the Draft Network about how Dable is riding the wave of Josh Allen and and how he's just this this wild quarterback and and he's doing all these different things to highlight all of these huge chunk plays that uh, Allen is capable of and it's it's a really fascinating read and and a look into the concepts of Brian Dable but I thought I mean he has to have the gumption to to go for that stuff and to not just settle for the the small stuff that that they were earlier in the season but when you have Allen taking those huge hits like there's a difference between Allen getting out of the pocket and running down the field and having enough space in, in between him and the defender to get down before a big hit comes. And there's a complete difference with having your franchise quarterback roll out on a on a potential toe-tapping touchdown catch or giving him a designed run where if one defender stays home, he gets absolutely walloped like he did. And so those are things I think Brian Dable is going to go, all right, well, maybe I, I shouldn't do that as much. And it, that's that's just what he has to learn. So probably a reality check for both of them in that regard, because even Josh Allen said after the game, which seemed like the strongest proclamation of this from him so far about needing to not take so many hits. He was feeling it after the game. I mean, he had taken a ton of hits. He was cut up a little bit, bruised. I mean... His body took a beating today. I think mm-hmm. he'll be feeling it tomorrow, and he'll realize... I think he was feeling it tonight. Yeah, I think he was already <laughs> feeling it, and he'll be feeling it even more tomorrow and probably start to realize this isn't sustainable. Mm-mm. I mean, what he's doing on a, as a running quarterback has not been done. He was the fastest to 400 yards rushing as a quarterback since Steve Young and Robert Griffin III. Those are the only two that got there faster. And... We saw what happened to RG3. Obviously, Steve Young uh, turned out all right. But you can't continue to put your body in that situation. I think he's big enough to handle it to the point where you can ask him to get 50 yards a game or 40 yards a game. Mm -hmm. But to continually rely on your legs, not only is it dangerous, but it's I think it's a bad habit. to lean on that part of your game when really through the air is where teams win in the NFL. So, again, all in all, this isn't a bad thing for Josh Allen, this game, because I think it's almost, this is like a a bad Josh Allen game, right? When the running leads to a fumble Mm -hmm. and his, you know, his gunslinger comes out and bites him where he gets two interceptions that are throws he shouldn't have made. That's the worst-case scenario of of Josh Allen right there. And they were still in this game, largely because of him and plays he made. The back shoulder throw to to Robert Foster, the 31-yard run on the first drive of the game. He still is changing the game with big plays. It just so happened today he also had a few that went the other way. And... There really was nobody else on either side ready to pick him up in in any in any way, shape, or form. The special teams let them down, and in big moments, the defense did too. So 
it wasn't an easy game for the defense where they started, you know, their drives, but ultimately uh, they let up the big plays that, that cost him on that final drive. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of his running, I think there is a very obvious reason why he's doing what he's doing. And it's because the offensive line play has just been atrocious the last two weeks. And you could even say the last three, but they were a little bit better against the Jaguars. This The last two weeks, it has been bad. Um, and to the point in which you hope that that doesn't become his default because of the helter-skelter nature of the offensive line. But when there is actually some time back there, there are enough signs from Allen over the past two weeks specifically to where he will stand tall in the pocket, which is encouraging, especially because they are going to attempt to add players that will not have their franchise quarterback darting out of the pocket more more often than not. Because that's that's basically what has happened uh, over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, he did throw the ball more down the stretch and, and got his even attempt numbers up, but his run-to-pass ratio early in the game was was pretty close to even. And that, as you mentioned, that's an unsustainable thing. And, and Josh Allen and Brian Dable definitely know that. Sean McDermott alluded to uh, alluded to having your quarterback beating, being your leading rusher as a, a potentially bad situation if, if it continues on for more than just a week here or a week there. I mean, this is now a trend for the Bills because their offensive line can't do much of anything. And when you combine that with perhaps a bit of a slowed down LaShawn McCoy, who got hurt early in the game, so his performance is kind of a, uh, a, a neutral here. But when you can't really get the push up front in, and you can't get the, the proper blocking for a good enough pocket or at least a pocket in which you aren't leaving within three seconds, then then there's not much you can do. But once they start to get more players and start to figure that out, and they have the draft picks, they have a bunch of cap space, and I would anticipate the offensive line is going to be a major focal point within free agency. Um, they, they need to make a lot of moves. And which kind of leads me into another point. Like, why is... Why is uh, Jordan Mills and John Miller still playing over Ike Butker and Connor McDermott when they've made such a huge push to playing all their young guys over established players that don't factor in to the, to the next year? Jordan Mills and John Miller are both unrestricted free agents at the end of the year. Both guys have struggled completely. Jordan Mills is on the ground so much during a game, way more often than you would ever want from an offensive line. Is that line. not where he's supposed to be? On the ground? You don't know the play call. I suppose. Perhaps it calls for him to be in the field. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I guess I don't know the, the play call. But when you have Ike Butker and Connor McDermott, who you don't know if they're going to be good or not, I mean, they could be terrible. But you owe it to yourself to kind of figure out. And, and here's, here's the good part about this. It can't get worse. It really well, can't. I mean, could. a little. I think that's probably the hesitation from them is they must not see a tremendous amount out of those guys. Because if they did, you can, if it were even, if it were close, you would think, to your point, it's kind of a no-brainer. 
you know you're move, probably moving on from John Miller and Jordan Mills, although that's not a guarantee because it's not like you can get five new starting offensive linemen. I could see four, them bringing back but, Miller just as a stopgap. Right, right. But, maybe, Mills, Mills, but Mills has to go. He, he probably will be gone. Ideally, they'll be gone, but you don't know for, for sure. But the other two guys, if they are worse and measurably worse and have been in practice, I mean, you know, they would know, you would hope, then they're probably thinking these two are our best chance to protect Josh Allen. And because it's a little bit different than throwing a corner out there or throwing a, a wide receiver even out there. It's those are the guys that are trying to keep your franchise investment upright. And so, but I, I would be curious to see what Connor McDermott has. I mean, yeah, it's, why not? it's time to figure out what he has. You've it's had him second year. You've had him here for two years and he's barely played. Ike Butker, maybe you, you waited out a little bit on that one because he is in his first year as an undrafted guy. He got a little bit of time last week. I did like what uh, he did last he week wasn't, for what it's worth. He wasn't terrible, uh, I think. Which is an improvement. Know, which, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and John Miller is is what he is at this point. So that ha- I think that is, you know, a lot of times during the offseason we talked about wide receiver, and, or during the season we've talked about wide receiver and offensive line being equally pressing needs. But I think it's become pretty clear that offensive line is more pressing and should get more attention in free agency where you need guys don't often come in as rookies. I mean, outside of Quentin Nelson and kick ass on the offensive line, having a guy that's a bit more experienced that's been through the league and developed a bit would really help this group. I will say though, Deion Dawkins has always been thought of as the guy who would survive through to 2019 of, of all the options they have i mean wyatt teller isn't even in this group because we're not sure if wyatt teller can play and the bills aren't sure of that either which is why he's out there playing the amount of snaps that he is but Deion dawkins has always been kind of that guy i don't know if untouchable is the word but but he's been the guy like oh he'll he'll be in the starting lineup and i still think he will be in the starting lineup but he's definitely not done himself any favors over the last few weeks um, I think he had a particularly uh, bad game today. Uh, but at the same time, he still shown, shows those signs throughout the season to where this guy can be a good player. The one thing I think that he's done, though, even though I believe he'll be a, in a starting position next year, probably at left tackle, he has not shut the door on the Bills front office being at, say, sixth overall. And that uh, and the top offensive tackle in the draft that's that's a, could be a potential franchise left tackle. He has not closed that door to the Bills front office thinking, well, we did just invest quite a bit in our rookie quarterback. Look at what the Colts did for Andrew Luck this past year. It might not be the worst idea. I mean, his play hasn't been consistent enough to to do that and to think about shifting him over to right tackle or inside to guard. Like I said, I think Brandon he has a... Brandon Bean didn't pick him. Brandon Bean didn't pick him. I think there's a role for him, but and I think there's a starting role for him, but I don't know that it's necessarily locked in at left tackle. And that's it, he can certainly change that over these last three weeks, but if he wants to be that franchise left tackle, he's got to show a lot more than he has, at least from a consistent standpoint. Yeah, he's not the problem, and that's where he'll survive because, like I said, you can't replace all of these guys 
in one off season. I mean, you can certainly try, but it's unlikely that you'll get, you know, the caliber of player you're looking for to replace each and every one of them. But I think the more interesting conversation is, do you find another position for Deion Dawkins? Yeah. Is it an upgrade to put him at right tackle and find somebody else to play left tackle or put him at left guard and, you know, find somebody else to, you know, kick Wyatt Teller to the right side, you know, move things around and, and find your best combination because coming out of the draft, he wasn't really thought of necessarily as a left tackle. I think he was thought of as more of a right tackle or a guard. And He's been good enough to get by at left tackle. But and not he great. has. He's been their best offensive lineman this season, but that's not saying a whole lot. No, and not. he didn't really have a whole lot of competition from the get-go. I mean, Marshall Newhouse and Connor McDermott weren't going to unseat him. So, you know, it they'll bring in competition. I, I would expect them to invest heavily along the offensive line, and I would think it's a fairly attractive situation for an offensive lineman playing with a quarterback like Josh Allen who's willing to stand in, take hits, and make you look good by escaping the pocket and, and picking up yards uh, with his legs. Mm-hmm. So I don't see why offensive linemen wouldn't want to come here. Uh, there's a handful of decent ones out there in free agency. I'm sure you won't get every one of them, but I would say find a center, number one, Yep. Um, whether it's in free agency or the draft if you don't get one in free agency that's probably a top three round need arguably and another tackle is and really a guard a guard and a tackle and a center that's three potentially two guards yeah potentially depending how Wyatt Teller looks to close out the season right which is why he's playing as much as he is and yeah this is this is an all hands-on-deck situation for the Bills because that needs to be of the utmost importance because now we have seen Josh Allen help make his receivers look good. Robert Foster is how about that? Not terrible. It, and Zay Jones has had his moments. Today was not a good game for Zay Jones. No, a couple of drops, um, but including a pretty bad one. But he's had his games. Robert Foster has had his games. You go find a a veteran, not necessarily a huge contract veteran but a veteran in free agency and invest some draft capital there, you've got some weapons to work with. But I think I think the trend around that's coming on in the NFL is that you don't need that huge number one guy. And while it's freaking awesome if you find that guy in the draft somewhere, but a lot of teams are getting by without having that overwhelming number one receiver. And Instead, spreading the wealth all over the field and and having a bunch of different guys chip in. And while that's frustrating for fantasy football owners, it's probably a lot better for for uh, the proliferation of of quarterbacks be, that are not trying to force feed one target in particular, which is sometimes what happens with those guys, even though they have the talent enough to make the plays. So I think maybe what we might see in the offseason, and you know, Robert Foster can certainly play a role in this and his first game starting I mean you, you really couldn't ask for much more outside of you know not taking a, a holding penalty I think for him showing the ability as we pointed out on the last podcast to run all the routes was huge and we saw the Jets respect his speed so much so that they played off of him and that's a pretty easy route to run and separation to get when a cornerback is playing that far off of you. And especially if you're on a comeback route 
or a, a little out route or a slant or something like that because they're respecting your speed, those are easy yards. And as long as he can continue to show the precision in his routes and and still offer that downfield asset that he is, I mean, there is a potential top three role for him if he shows that that this game wasn't just a flash in the pan, that he can do it consistently and and run the routes the, the way that he's supposed to. I think he was just off to a great start, and you know he's been consistently getting better from from the the time that he brought he, they brought him back up from the practice squad. And Josh Allen trusts him in tight window contested situations, and Foster's given him every reason to trust him. And I think that's a huge positive sign, whether it's Foster or Zay Jones or Isaiah McKenzie, who had another productive day today. If even one of those guys figures to be a solid complementary two or three option, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good sign because coming into the season, it looked like they had a bunch of nobodies. Heck, how about a four? I mean, if Foster turns into a, a long-term four, that's a great thing for an undrafted guy. Absolutely. And if if he's a four and Zay Jones is a three, you've got something to build on. Yeah, right. Because then you can go find some other guys. Isaiah McKenzie's a gadget moving forward and... That's a good situation to be in. For sure. As opposed to wondering, you know, a few weeks ago before Robert Foster had his first breakout game, whether there were any future guys, uh, you know, any future right. rosterable players in the wide receiver depth chart. Now it looks like there are at least a few, but still an area where they need to be aggressive. And again, another, I mean, Tight end and running back. I mean everything. They need yeah, I know. all of it around Josh Allen. They got the quarterback. He looks pretty good and showing a lot of promise. But today was a pretty stark reminder of how little he has around him. Yeah, totally agree there. I, I among all of these snap counts, that will be something to maybe raise your eyebrow at. The one that I'm thinking that could be a lot closer than it has been in recent weeks is Logan Thomas to Charles Clay. I saw Logan Thomas out there a lot. Maybe it was just my mind playing a trick on me, which which has been the case in previous weeks to where it's like where you cognitively go, oh wow, that guy's on, out on the field again, again, again. I don't know. I I, I think without Jason Kroom, I want to say Logan Thomas was out there more than his usual, like 25%, 25-30%. So we'll we'll see. But if if that is indeed the case and only two tight ends dressing, that's a pretty uh, big statement about Charles Clay and his performance against the Dolphins and really his performance all year too. Yeah, he's not long for this group. I mean, no. it's $4.5 million to cut him in the offseason. I think that's a fairly easy decision still and he didn't do much today he had what i would call a drop on an early crossing route and early in the game he's just been a bit of a non-factor and i would expect them to find some form of competition at that position too they only have so many resources <laughs> no we keep but, saying like oh how about this and then you add in like hey you might need a defensive tackle and a cornerback too how about yeah, that i think that's where you that's where people i've i've had people ask me you know will they cut starlo to or trent murphy god no and first of all starlo to would be super expensive to cut uh because of the way his contract is structured trent murphy would be affordable but 
And the same, you know, put Jerry Hughes in this bucket too, where I don't think you move on from any of them because I don't think you can afford to open up more holes Mm -hmm. at this point. You Mm -hmm. have the money to keep them. You sign them for a reason. I think Trent Murphy had some moments today where you saw he's starting to get get his feet under him again. Leslie Frazier mentioned he's still not quite 100%. They need him to, though, because Shaq's outplaying him. Yeah, but it's a good situation, I think, where you just say, maybe we get a fully healthy Trent Murphy next season, and Shaq Lawson has emerged as a guy that you can count on as well. So I think you keep as many of those guys as you can so you don't open up too many holes because if Kyle Williams retires, that's definitely a hole. Mm -hmm. And you're maybe asking Harrison Phillips to play out of position. Who knows what what you're doing there? Or maybe you really stick true to best player available and pull the trigger on somebody in the top 10 that's a stud three technique. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you look around that defense and you say, you're going to have to learn to live with some flaws next year because, man, does the offense need a lot of attention. And you need to know at some point next year for sure that Josh Allen is the guy yeah. or not. I, because I mean, offense reigns supreme. Or you it's, need it's, to have a pretty strong hint one way or the other that this guy's got it or this guy doesn't. Look at the best and most exciting teams in the NFL right now. I mean, their offense leads the way without question. I mean, the only team that's really defensively driven more than any is the Chicago Bears. And they've got a young quarterback that they're trying to build around, but we're not still sure if he's a good passer. I mean, that is very much in question for Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky. So, I mean, the rest of the teams that are that are great, dynamic passing offenses, dynamic offenses in well, general. Well, you also look at what all of those teams, the Bears included, did was just put a ton of talent around their young quarterback. Jared yep. Goff has an embarrassment of riches around him from Todd Gurley to Brandon Cooks. They went and traded for Sammy Watkins last year to make him a complimentary piece. They drafted Cooper Cup pretty early. Mm -hmm. So they spent the resources to get him talent. The Kansas City Chiefs, Tyreek Hill, uh, Sammy Watkins, they they spent money on. Travis Kelsey's around him. They have a bunch of talent. And then they go out and get Kelvin Benjamin, who, as we know, doesn't have a tremendous amount in the talent category. But they make an effort to put every piece around these guys that they can. The Eagles did the same thing, and the Bears went out and got Allen Robinson. Uh, you know, they, These teams spent money to set these guys up for success. I think you need to do the same thing, and you need to get pretty aggressive in doing it because the Jets have a lot of money and are going to have the same goal of surrounding Sam Darnold with more talent because – I think we saw today he doesn't have a whole lot around him either. Mm -hmm. And the Colts are going to be trying to do the same thing, and they could be Super Bowl contenders next year. Seriously. I think they're they're that good in terms of how good Andrew Luck is. They need skill players. How good the offensive line is. But, you know, T.Y. Hilton is a stud, but he's got nothing else. They need a runner. And they they have some holes on defense they need to fix, and they have even more cap space than the Bills. And. If I'm a receiver, that's where I'm going yeah, because right. that's going to be a hell of an offense if Andrew Luck stays healthy, and I think they could very much contend um, you know, in the AFC next year. So that's why you're going to need to get aggressive, mm-hmm. and you're going to need to maybe spend a little bit more than you want on certain guys or you know, get aggressive in the draft or whatever you have to do, but you need to keep up because everybody else is going to be doing it, and 
you know, the explosive offenses are the ones that are going to rise to the top. Yeah, and the Bills have to get on that train. And I think Brandon Bean realizes that that's where this thing ultimately has to go because he understands trends in the NFL. Sean McDermott probably isn't that way. I mean, he probably wants to be the Bears. Right. He's he's probably more in the in the mold of doing things more so the way that they've done them before to to have some success when in reality I mean, does anyone care that the Chiefs have a terrible defense? <laughs> I mean, Patrick Mahomes is insanely talented, and he's led them from a pretty good team with Alex Smith, Smith at the helm, with a with a solid defense, to a great team that continues to push the paces on offense, as opposed, even though they have just a crappy defense. I mean, eventually, eventually the defense is going to have to step up in certain spots when they get into these playoff games, but still. When you have that type of offense and that type of explosiveness, it's just teams can't compete with that. And because if you capitalize on, I don't know, five of your drives, how many teams are putting up thirty-five plus points? Not a lot. So that's that's where this thing is headed, and that's why they have to heavily invest. And I think the Colts are a good model here because while the Colts don't have the over-the-top runner, or they don't have you know they have T.Y. Hilton, but but uh, he's been hurt for a lot of the year too, and they've kind of gotten by with that. But they built from their offensive line, which is so vitally important for their young quarterback. And I think it's really important for Josh Allen's development more than anything because it shows him that he can stay in that pocket. And because if if he learns to harness that arm and stays in the pocket and goes through his reads, I mean the. Everything is out there for him. Like he he has top five potential if he realizes that about himself and sticks to it like like he probably should. But you need more solid pieces on the offensive line to do it, which is why it's important for them to really, like you said, go aggressive in free agency for offensive linemen. You don't have to worry about any uh, potential free agents that would ruin your your chances at compensatory picks. I mean, that is gone. The only one that probably you would think heading into the year could have was Kelvin Benjamin. Maybe Jordan Phillips could. It doesn't matter. Go protect your quarterback this year and then worry about the compensatory stuff once your guys that you draft start becoming uh, unrestricted free agents and, and then develop your roster that way. I do think they have the potential to be... A really explosive offense. I do because too. they have the most important piece. They have a quarterback who is the most. I I don't think it's a stretch to say he's the most dynamic runner of the football in the league right now at the position. I mean, Lamar yeah. Jackson would probably the one who's exhibiting it. I mean, the most yeah, anyway. Lamar Jackson would probably take some issue with that, and maybe Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, but I mean. The way, the way he's producing, like you said, at running the ball is like nobody else. But he also has the arm to make throws that not a lot of people can make. Mm-hmm. And those two elements alone give you the potential, the framework, to be an offense that can create big plays. And when you do that, you put yourself in a position to win games. So is he going to turn into Patrick Mahomes in year two? Probably not. 
but can he start connecting on a lot more of these big plays and start putting it together more consistently to make this an offense that will put up more than 20 points in a game, you know, on most Sundays? I think he can do that. And I think they can get this def. You would think they'd get this defense, you know, solidified a little bit to the point where, you know, at the end of games, they can make some of these plays to, to stop teams from, uh, escaping with wins like they have the last few weeks if they had the same starting 11 next year on on defense and more pieces around josh allen this is a team that pushes for the playoffs i would think so i mean the way they've played the last three weeks albeit against weak teams they and again they were one and two in these games so let's not pretend that that they showed a ton but they did play tight against all these teams mm-hmm. and i think that alone is such a drastic improvement from where they were during that ugly middle of the season stretch where they barely looked like they belonged on the same field with teams. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they can, especially in the AFC, which is going to continue to be a gigantic slap and tickle fest outside <laughs> of the top three teams or so, of course they can contend because the Dolphins, the, I mean, you got the Browns are rising, but. The Browns, the Ravens, a lot of these teams. What if Big Ben retires? You know, there's so much uncertainty in the AFC. Yep. I feel like it's such a, a weak conference outside of a few teams that I have very little issue envisioning a scenario where the Bills are contenders because things change very quickly. Just look at the Bears and how bad they were last season and how much they've turned themselves into a, a legitimate contender in the NFC this year. Yeah, and... None of this conversation would be possible if Josh Allen hasn't shown the signs that he did over the last three weeks. It, I mean, it, he, it is maybe not night and day, but it is a legitimate difference between what he was um, in those initial games and how Dable has kind of rolled his offense into his re- Allen's return. And, you know, I, it has made conversations like this ones that you can have without thinking, well, this is stupid. He's he's shown those signs. So Bills fans should be fairly excited to see what they do in the offseason um, with, without question. Let's give away some awards, shall we? Um, first up is the Matt Barkley Award, which was uh, brought upon the last time the Bills played these same Jets. I, I think you you took Matt Barkley and... Uh, and Vontae Davis last time, so I think you have Dre Archer. So I will take Matt Barkley, the Matt Barkley Award, and I will give it to Robert Foster. I mean, seven catches, over 100 yards, a clutch 38-yarder down the stretch of the game. This is a guy who they cut within two months ago, and now he's out there being their top receiver. Well, at least today he was. Zay Jones was that against the Miami Dolphins. But Foster and the way he's recommitted himself has been definitely uh, something that the Bills have wanted to see from him. I mean, he's always had this great ability, this great raw talent that he never realized at Alabama. And to see him do it at least for a week is is a, an encouraging sign. Now, like we mentioned, I think maybe this the last podcast or last week, it's not about what he does now in terms of his motivation, but what he is six months from now, eight months from now, when he has had some success and hasn't been put on his ass. 
that's that's what uh, will be the ultimate test for him. But right now, hey, no complaints. He's been really good, and he's shown some signs that he's more than just a downfield threat. The Dree Archer Award, I am tempted to give it to one of the Bills' very good players in Tredavious White. Ooh, okay. But I almost feel like he's more of a candidate for the... Fonte Davis Award. Don't try to steal but, my award. Uh, I think I'm going to give the Dree Archer Award to Danny Crossman. Yeah. Because special teams Lock it in. was a nightmare today. And I think a lot of that has to fall on him. And Sean McDermott mentioned special teams a lot in his postgame press conference. Oh, yeah. Like five or six times. Right off a the top, A handful of which were unprompted. Yeah. So... To me, Bye. that's a sign that he's not too happy with the coaching he's getting there. And somebody even asked about the coaching, and he said it wasn't part of the game plan for them to start at the 48-yard line, <laughs> which, yeah. So Also, stat of uh, one of the stats of the game, the average drive start for the Jets in the first half was the Buffalo 42-yard line? Yeah. Gross. Not good. That um, is... That is egregious. And the Bills' uh, uh, starting line was, in the first half, was their own 23. So that is a... I'm sorry, it was the the Bills' 43 for the Jets. So that is a 34-yard difference in drive starts in the first half. Then you had a field goal blocked. Yep. And it's the second straight week where there were just some, you know, plays that I think... Some of it falls on being prepared and coached up. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'm going to give it to Danny Crossman and, and the rest of his unit that failed to show up for this game. Yeah, man. It was it was bad. And, you know, you wonder if maybe McDermott makes a change there right away. But I tend to think he's more of the evaluate it and make a decision at the end of the season type. I mean, I'm basing that solely on Rick Dennison last year. There were multiple times where he could have fired Rick Dennison in 2017, and he didn't. He stuck with him, wanted to see if it would get any better, gave the benefit of the doubt, and then once it came came to a point in time in the offseason where it's like, all right, well, this guy can't continue to lead this facet of our team, then he made the move. So that's I think Crossman will hang on for the final three weeks, but I do think today might have uh, cinched it for the Bills. And because the special teams basically cost him the game today. I mean, the Bills should have been way farther ahead in the first half or after the first half than they were. And two of those two of those drive starts were because of special teams. And that falls on Danny Crossman, fair or not. And then there were also, I mean, so Hauschka gets the kick blocked and gets hurt on the play that followed. Mm-hmm. In the second half, he missed a 54-yarder, but when Sean McDermott was asked about Hauschka's health, he said, what do you mean? We checked him out at half, and he he's fine. To the point, but what, what was weird about that was after the game, Hauschka was in the x-ray room. Right. And talking about, you know, how tight he was and, and how sore he was. So maybe there wasn't a significant, you know, muscle, you know, tear or anything like that or a bone break. But to not know that your kicker probably isn't good to kick a 54-yarder, mm-hmm. I think, is a, a bit of a questionable call. Yeah, for sure. All right, the uh, Vontae Davis Award. You know, Tredavious White is a compelling case, though. 
The only thing that, that holds me back, I mean, he was there on the touchdown pass from Darnold um, right in the middle of the end zone. And that Robbie Anderson play, this is what holds me back from naming him that. Because after watching it again and again, it seemed like everything was mostly there from a technique standpoint. And he, it seemed like he was right there with him. I think the two things he probably could have changed were, I mean, right at the beginning of the snap, he ran back to get a head start. And maybe it would have influenced the route a little bit if he had stayed there and press. Or at the tail end, when uh, the ball was in the air, if he turned his head back a little bit earlier than he did, as cornerbacks are trained to do. Um, I think that could have influenced the result of the play. But it was also a dynamite throw from Sam Darnold. So I don't know that I can necessarily kill Tredavious White for that play. Um, it, even It does go on him, and, and there are things he could have done to improve. But sometimes a perfect throw is a perfect throw, and that was a perfect throw. So I will go with Zay Jones. I mean, what he... I mean, there there were multiple times that... It's just, it's just these plays that... He should have made in a in a fairly clutch spot. He didn't, and when Josh Allen was struggling and needed needed uh, somebody to step up, he found it in Robert Foster, and he didn't find it in Zay Jones. Even though Zay Jones was more of a uh, more of a threat to them last week, so I'll give it to Zay. This was a bad game for him. Probably one of his worst games from a uh, and in, even though he was involved, uh, letting opportunities slip through his hands. You know, that's not really a, not really a pun, but that's what it ended up being. But yeah, yeah, this is it was it was not a not a not a good second half for for Mr. Zay Jones. All right, come on, Darlene, what do you got? I'm gonna give my come on, Darlene, to Henry Anderson. Yeah, who is the Jets' defensive end, linebacker, goon? I guess whatever. He's a D lineman yeah. and. Uh, at all of six six three hundred pounds, he decided to flex his uh, his muscles on the kicker, mm. who wasn't even looking and was away from the play. I guess yeah, he's making a hard block, and the kicker is in the play and got it. You know, Hauschka's got to have his head on a swivel a little bit there. But to me, that's the type of thing that you just don't need in yeah. the NFL. I mean. Ten years ago, that's all over ESPN on Sunday Night Football, and they're doing, you know, jacked up or whatever it was. I just thought it was, you know, unbecoming of of Henry Anderson, and yep, um, it, you know, unfortunately, that's what a lot of defensive players are going to look to do in that situation: go for the kicker and try to hurt him because it put the Bills in a bad spot in the second half where Hauschka was struggling to get to the end zone, partly because of the weather, partly because of the injury, and he missed uh, a 54-yarder because of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good come on, Darlene. My come on, Darlene, is going to go to Matthew Fairburn. Do you want to know why? Of course you do. I'm ready. I've already been on this bracket once. You're, you're about to be on it again. On there a second Your time. come on, Darlene, is for failing to tell me, your friend... That once upon a time, you drove a 94 Thunderbird as a high school student who graduated in 2010, I believe. Yes. Who graduated in 2010 that had, above all else, front window decals. It did. Uh, Well. 
How could you not tell me about this before this past weekend? This is this is podcast fodder that we could have done a year ago. This is, you know, things that come out in time. You know, I, I am only so comfortable revealing so much. I've re- well, I revealed spot. I've revealed a lot about my infatuation with Blaine Gabbert, which is, you know, just one one layer here, but <laughs> I did drive a 94 Thunderbird and no, it did not make it to graduation because it almost caught on fire. I almost I almost perished in the the 94 Thunderbird as smoke was pouring out of the hood on the the highway and I think I was in New Hampshire at the time when it was, uh, or maybe right on the border. But what a great car. A, a real treat. Um, and Near-death experience. Great car. But great car. It did, it did a good job for three different people in my family. It wow. was a, a bit of a, a, you know. An heirloom? An heirloom, if you will, yes. Uh, passed down from my cousin to my brother to me. And that's how I ended up driving a 94 Thunderbird in the year, what, it would have been like 2008 yeah, it when was, I got my license, it was 2009. A 14, 15 year old car. That's, it was a, a beauty. I wish it could have lasted longer. I feel personally responsible for its, for its death. Like I didn't take good enough care of it, but as I guess should. it was time. The front window decals were, were a big part of the, the story experience for me, as was the huge muffler that was it got me pulled over (laughs) it got me pulled over the cop pulled me over i thought i was speeding he said your car is far too loud which i thought was a pretty badass thing to get pulled over for at the time i mean you had a crappy subwoofer system yes that was cool at one point not while i was driving it just like my gator skin shoes were probably cool at one point that i wore to junior prom so yeah a lot of if you can picture that me with a uh a mess of mop for hair. Mm-hmm. We were all with gator there. skin shoes and a Ford Thunderbird making my way to to junior prom. I mean, <laughs> the ladies were just fainting all around <laughs> Haverhill, Massachusetts, as you can all imagine. I can't believe that you made it out of Haverhill, Massachusetts, <laughs> with with all of those things in your favor. Well, the Thunderbird almost lit on fire. True, That's how. true, absolutely right. So yeah, come on, Darlene, for not telling me that sooner. Fair enough. That's... I take that one on the chin. Put that one on me. <laughs> All right. So uh, the Bills next have probably the worst game on the schedule coming up. Not to you know just completely derail it, but the battle of what is it? The QEW that gets you from Buffalo to, or is it? I mean, it it's could. a different one. It could. Great it's Lakes. Like the four hundred three, or there's yeah. some stupid highway that gets you from what? through Canada and over the border All the way twice. To, which maybe next week we can tell the story of how I got detained at the border going Ooh, into Detroit. That's a, uh, that's a cliffhanger. One of the times that I had to drive there. Miserable game it should be next week. Looking forward to it. Yeah, really. Um, a 5-8 and eight team versus a 4-9 and nine team. Big for draft position. Yeah. One of those games where it's like, wow, if the Bills lose this game, they're right in the mix for that number one overall pick, and it's probably going to be one that they're going to win and just be completely anticlimactic. But I guess we'll, we'll have to see how it all unfolds. If they lose out, they got a shot at that number one pick. They do. They really do because... Uh, Not they, that they really need it, but... No. Well, they could. I mean, it doesn't hurt. I mean, You could trade back, maybe end up with two first-round picks. Sure, sure. Multiple seconds. That's what they really need. Yeah, a lot of, lot of great... picks. A lot of great things that could happen from that, and if... If you really want to go down the rabbit hole, they they could use the Falcons to win a game because the Falcons' strength of schedule is terrible. 
And, of course, they would need to lose out and have the three teams at 3-10 and 10 win one game. So, and then they have a shot. So we'll uh, At the very least, we'll they're in a mix for a high enough pick to either get a blue-chip prospect or trade back and maybe get some more picks, which that should probably be what everybody is pulling for, is yeah. for them to trade back, get more picks, because they need we spent a lot of time on everything that they need, and the only way they're going to be able to fill more of those holes is more picks. Yeah, that uh, this podcast has been over an hour long now, and all of their needs took up about 25 minutes. <laughs> that's that's what, what we're at. And that's what they chose to do, but they had to take their medicine, and so this is why this year had to be what it is. And the fact that there is still some encouragement uh, in the form of Josh Allen certainly helps things. All right, so... That's going to do it for us. We will next uh, convene with you all on Thursday of the coming week when the Bills get ready to take on the Detroit Lions. We'll see what the update is on Matt Milano. Very sad about Matt Milano. What a good player and, and bad way for the season to end for him. Um, but there's get some other updates, see how uh, Josh Allen fares in his next game, which will be closing in. Not there yet, but closing in on double-digit starts in his NFL career. Should be fun. All right. For Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening to this edition of The Bills Beat, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Talk to you then.